We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Luke steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Ryan Burns to the house. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater, throw into the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel still on his feet inside the five. Panthers fans, welcome back to the Roar Podcast presented by Blue Wire Podcast. It's John Ellis back with you after a couple weeks off here. Good friend Billy Marshall by my side uh, took over the reins and did some great content for us. And uh, glad to be back with Billy here. What's up, man? Doing well. Welcome back. (laughs) It's good to be back, man. Uh, Obviously, some things have been going on uh, since we last talked. Uh, We'll break down this Chiefs game in in great detail and give you the usual, you know, offense, defense, special teams view. But uh, let's just start with your general impressions of of what we saw yesterday. What were your thoughts on that game? Um, I mean, it it was certainly a close game. 
And I did predict Carolina to backdoor cover in our preview on Thursday. So I wasn't surprised that uh, they kept it close. And then obviously they went down the field again to make it a two point game. Um, Before that, it was a nine point game. So it went in line with my expectations. Now uh, they did have a chance to win the game at the end. And I felt like that final drive was a a little disappointing. Um, And I'm not sure I'm still trying to reconcile my thoughts on, who deserves more criticism in that situation. And I'm sure we'll get to it later, but uh, overall it kind of went as expected. I didn't really think the chiefs uh, are a great unit defensively. Well, I think they're fine defensively, but I just felt like Carolina could really expose them in certain areas, which is what they did. And I certainly felt like Carolina's defense was not going to have a good game. And lo and behold, they didn't. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a little encouraging that they competed, but yeah, if you watch the Jets game the previous week, uh, that was Kansas City's previous opponent. Uh, Despite the scoreline being 35 to 9, the Jets actually did move the ball quite efficiently. And um, I mean, that scoreline shouldn't have been that wide. I I felt it was a much closer game um, than what was suggested, Uh, more like a 24 to like 10. 24 9 game but yeah i sure wasn't really um, surprised with uh, carolina competing and coming up just short yeah i heard your preview with matt lane uh and i i thought you guys did a, a really good job of uh you know breaking down the nuances of what to expect and i did my own little preview on periscope yesterday and i, I talked about some of the keys for carolina to to compete in this game and it was of course shortening the game a little bit grinding the ball. They, Kansas City, for all they do well defensively, uh, they do not guard the run very well. They've given up uh, 4.8 per carry, and uh, I felt that was somewhere Carolina could get an edge early on uh, and continue to you know just keep Pat off the field as much as they could. And I thought that was a good first drive. It set the tempo, and it kept them ahead of things early on. Obviously, you know, Kansas City did come back, and and took a two-possession lead as expected. But uh, let's just start with the offense here. 31st downs, that's impressive. You know, 7 of 16 on third downs, 3 of 3 on fourth down, including the big one on the first drive, Billy. So, you know, they open up with the, uh, you know, nine-minute drive. Let's talk about that a little bit. How impressed were you by not only the drive, but the I saw your comment on, on Twitter yesterday, going forward on fourth down and the call to slip McCaffrey out there in the open. Uh, your thoughts on that opening drive and getting started. So, yeah, obviously, anytime you end a drive with a touchdown, it's encouraging. Uh, but I felt like they had to adjust a little because they also burned two timeouts on that drive, which is unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I understand that very much. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. And, and this was actually a larger problem throughout the game. They had a lot of issues lining up and Teddy Bridgewater was snapping the ball with like one or two seconds left on the clock. And this is when they were trailing. So this isn't like yeah. some type of opportunity to just burn clock and try to work the time. Uh, but yeah, so right. that, that first drive kind of gave a prelude to some of the issues they were having uh, with communication and lining up. And, I, and then as far as I saw, it looked like, Joe Brady was calling the game on the field. Uh, the previous weeks, yes. he was um, 
he was in the booth. So maybe they Fox actually slash uh, cut to a shot of somebody else in the booth, and they thought it was Brady. It looked like Travis Hancock from WFNC. <laughs> it was definitely not Joe Brady. Yeah, uh, I, everybody was giving T Bone a hard time, but yeah, Brady was on the field, and, and that was interesting because I, I think you know people read into that and say you know what impact might that have had on on some of the the pre-snap stuff. But I, I, I totally get your point there. That first drive, and it was consistent throughout the game, not only uh, when the game clock was moving, obviously, to try to drain clock. I get that. But when there's a dead ball situation and they're coming out of timeouts and there's still one on the play clock, you're giving the defense, you know, you're telegraphing the snap at that point. I, I yeah. just didn't like that. Yeah, so but, – but let me get to the positives next, how they actually – um, what they did when they were snapping the football on time and sure. getting plays off, which, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it was just a mixture of um, a, a lot of different concepts that really kind of forced the Chiefs to make decisions. And Kansas City looked like they were, you know, coming on blitzes or dropping back before the snap. And and in my preview, Matt also mentioned that the Chiefs linebackers they're not really fast and they're not very good. Oh. So I, I thought you saw that Panthers really expose the short areas of the field and let their players do work after the catch. And and not only did you see that in the pass game, but you also saw it in the run game too. Um, you, you saw McCaffrey have a pretty solid game and uh, Samuel and Davis had a few carries here and there. Um, so it was pretty encouraging overall. And it, it, this offense is not built on explosive plays and we can get into that later. Um, but for what they were able to do, which is move the ball down the field efficiently in a time-consuming manner, uh, I felt that they accomplished their objective. No question. I Like we talked about all week, and I, I you can hammer this point home, pregame yesterday, you know, just to be able to control the clock and the tempo was going to be a nice path forward to, to compete and maybe even steal a win there. And also, impressively, you know, this can't go unnoticed here, the one takeaway Carolina had was sort of, a, I guess, a cheap one before the end of the half. But nonetheless, it's the first time Kansas City has been in the minus turnover ratio since December of last year. So I thought that was impressive that, you know, Kansas City, a big part of what they do is winning with the ratio there. They're plus nine coming into that game. And for Carolina to give them nothing cheap, I thought was a good job by Bridgewater and uh, the entire offense there, but protecting the ball. So uh, Bridgewater, of course, threw 49 times, 36 completions, efficient, 310, two touchdowns, no picks, and uh, didn't really, at least from from my view, throw any fatal error type of throws. A couple were behind some guys. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, go, go ahead. No, 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 I, 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 was I think, yeah, I, I mentioned you get your thoughts on on not only his his statistical day, but just some of the key throws he did or maybe did not make. Um, I, I guess we can, you know, look at the one everybody's talking about. Uh, you know, a lot of folks, there was a 360 view that Bill Voth had posted. I saw your comments on it. I made some comments on it myself. And it's tough, you know, in that situation, if you're not the quarterback, especially without the all 22 view, which we now have, to really give him that hard of a time. DJ gets a free release. Of course, we're talking about in the fourth quarter, about 14 minutes left. They're down two possessions. Gets a free release on the nine route. And he's got some space there. But the, the bigger thing there is that over route that Curtis runs, you've got to lead him there. And that's a key throw that you got to make. And just your thoughts on that play. No, no, hundred uh, percent. I agree with that. And I, I did see that image and I commented on it. So yes, uh, 
DJ was certainly open and he probably could have scored a touchdown there. Um, if a quarterback who is determined to really stretch the field uh, through it, but at the same time, Curtis Samuel was going to score a touchdown there because if you look at the picture closely, you can see that the linebackers are committing inside the corner who is supposed to you know, guard that side of the field is running with DJ. Yeah. So if you throw that, that um, over out towards like the sideline and allow Samuel to catch it, he's most likely going to score a touchdown. Uh, but instead he throws it back inside, which forces Samuel to lose his momentum and make, you know, a pretty ridiculous adjustment midair and come down with a, an impressive catch. Overall, I did think Bridge, I did think Bridgewater's accuracy was not that great. And this was not the only throw I'm talking about. There were a few other throws, especially to Samuel. Um, I think it was in the fourth quarter. He, Curtis was like wide open for like a f- six or seven yard catch, like down near Carolina's um, sideline. And Bridgewater just completely like underthrew him. And Samuel had to like drop to the ground and didn't force him to get back up. Right. which he gained another three or four yards. And then there was yeah. a few other throws that I recall that he just didn't really throw accurately, especially one to Robbie Anderson down the sideline. So yeah. I did not feel his accuracy was as good as, you know, his uh, production states. Uh, yeah. There were a few throws that I, I just feel like they, they weren't, they, they need to be better thrown. Um, but I, I don't, he didn't really throw any interceptable passes um, by that, I mean he didn't throw any type of turnover-worthy throws that would sure. um, alter the tra- trajectory. Like n- none of the passes he threw were tipped at the, or dropped for picks. So um, overall, like that's fine. But I, I do think the the accuracy is still something that I'm hoping improves um, d- despite what his completion percentage says. No question. They had to work really hard, Billy. Uh, Curtis in particular on – on some of these misfires by Bridgewater. Curtis was targeted nine times, 100% catch rate, and he had a career day over 100. And, uh, you know, I think we a lot of the talk about Curtis possibly being trade bait and, uh, you know, where will he land? I'm glad to see they they are following through with him and giving him an opportunity. Now it's just a long-term commitment. We'll see. But uh, I think he's showing his value right now, no doubt. And uh, I think you and I both have been pretty high on Curtis since he's been here and I'm glad to see he's healthy and he's producing, uh, you know, DJ was targeted three times. Uh, I haven't looked at the tape that closely yet, but you know, there's a lot of targets out there, Billy, you know, a lot, a lot of mouths to feed. So I, I, I can't be too critical until I get a closer look. No, hundred percent. What do you John. Think? I think DJ, you just got to take no, a closer look. Yeah. I, I think this is becoming such an overblown story that it's honestly annoying me and I'm just ignoring it. <laughs> like at the end of the day, the offense scored 31 points. They right. had a really good day throwing the football. I understand, you know, I have my issues with some of Bridgewater's accuracy and some of his reads, but when people are, are, are quote tweeting that screenshot that, Oh, this means that Teddy hates DJ because, but he's <laughs> Teddy made the right read on that throw. That's, and that, that's the, design, the point I'm yeah. trying to make. It's his accuracy that let him down. So right. I'm just ignoring all this talk right now about this conspiracy that Bridgewater has some sort of ulterior motive towards no, I mean, DJ it's... Moore and he's not targeting him. Yeah. You know, the, here's what the, the, here's the, what the Panthers of the deep recesses of Panthers Twitter really yeah. likes to uh, distort it's... things, no doubt. No, I mean I heard it on the radio too. It's a, it's getting a oh. little tiring, guys. Like, <laughs> I mean. There are reasons they lost this game. The reasons do not involve DJ getting three mm-hmm. targets. Sure, I would like to see him get more, but 
the reality is the offense wasn't the issue. Now, he, here's a solution that maybe works. Instead of having Robbie Anderson in the slot and having him run these um, you know, quick slant routes or out routes that they always target like three to four times a game, why don't you give those to DJ Moore? Give those to DJ, exactly, right? That That seems to be, with his physicality, his bread and butter, and uh, you give Robbie a chance in the perimeter to, to do a little more damage. I agree. No doubt. I mean, I'm, um, I'm just trying to search for solutions because at the end of the day, um, and I think you will agree that the offense wasn't the issue yesterday. Not at all. I mean, look, here's the deal. They, they controlled the ball for 10 minutes in the first quarter and 11 minutes in the fourth quarter. That's good stuff. On the road against Kansas City, that's good production. That's good control. No turnovers. Uh, they gave up a couple sacks there, and we'll, we'll get to that. There was a key penalty on Chris Reed late in the game who continues to play on roller skates and pass protection. Um, I, they're just going to have to figure that out at some point. But um, the, the fake punt, though, let's talk about that. I mean, that, that, that showed some balls. I mean, obviously, you, <laughs> you, you don't want to just, you know, he tried the onside kick as well. We'll get to that, too. I, I don't like praising a coach just for randomly doing things that are – deemed ballsy by fans because fans can get you know and i can too we all can get a little overwhelmed with that you know mantra of oh that's you know it's a gutsy thing well it's gutsy if it works but this fake punt i thought was a great call they obviously executed it very well what did you think about that call yeah uh i mean certainly it it was played out perfectly and a few of the chiefs uh, members of Chiefs Twitter that I was following, they, they could even see that coming 100 miles away because they saw that the um, the punt coverage was essentially coming all out, which vacated the middle of the field. Usually you have right. like a, a two, three players like stand back and like safe formation. Um, so you're not preventing that type of thing from happening, but it also helps you set up your return in the middle of the field. Um, so you're not allowing... Um, a few of the players uh, on the punt team were at the line of scrimmage from getting upfield too quickly to right. uh, prevent the returner from, um, you know, not uh, returning it. But yeah, I mean, it, it, just in general, the aggressiveness uh, throughout the game was pretty encouraging. And I hope that this type of uh, mindset carries them in the future, because I know that after the Thursday night game against Atlanta, uh, yeah. They had a little bit of – they were not successful on fourth down, and I felt like, oh, no, here we go. Like, this is right. going right. to scare Matt Rule into not going for on fourth down anymore. Uh, but he stuck to what the numbers say, and yeah. he went with the um, the method of what the data goes by, and yeah. he made the right decisions. And I hope that is something that will be continuing throughout the season, that he's not just going to be relying on his – on instincts moving forward. Now a fake punt, obviously that that's a little different than, than the fourth and 14 and the sure. fourth down play and their first drive and a few others. Um, so yeah, it, it was certainly encouraging to see um, them. You know, I, I, again, I hope that this type of commitment to uh, their fourth down decisions is a trend and I hope it's not just a one-off although sure, yeah. uh, field goal that they did kick which Sly missed I, I wish they went for it there that would have been good but I, I think in general you're right there, there was a congruency between their opponent yesterday and the game they play the type of style they play and what was demanded of Carolina to stay with them and I, I like the fact that Matt early in the game made decisions that you know gave them a chance to compete and win rather than playing it safe. And I, I do think that there were some analytics 
thrown into those decisions, I'm sure. But uh, again, the, the larger point I'll drive home is Dave Tube, who's the uh, coordinator for the Chiefs special teams, one of the best in the business, special teams coach, a long time for the Bears, did some great things with Devin Hester those years. He, one of the best special teams guys in football and to, you know, pull one over on them. And usually they're very well prepared. That was impressive too. So hats off to Chase Blackburn and Matt Rule for making that call, and Charlton for obviously you know delivering it. And I don't know, was it Zilstra? I believe caught it. It's uh, you know good stuff all around. I like seeing that. Um, so yeah, that they- I do. I do wonder if that was um, like an audible, like that, that that they just saw. Could have been. Could have been. You're right. And that that's something I don't know if they got any clarification of that in the post game presser. But I have to go back and look. I you know obviously that they they probably install those in practice giving charlton the option and uh you know carolina has tried a few of those over the years and you remembered some of these have not gone so well he's they won this year had not gone too well in tampa um but but this one was just fantastic in terms of timing and, and execution so awesome to see that um McCaffrey, you know, let's let's discuss this for a minute. Of course, you know, Carolina did put up 30 points yesterday, 31. And McCaffrey is, you know, back in the mix. Now, obviously, he's going to miss some time here, it looks like. There's um, some tests going on right now on that shoulder. It was on the last drive, which you hate to see. But um, I, I don't want to – if you want to go down the road of discussing contracts with running backs, I'm open ears. I'm just more interested in your thoughts on his production yesterday and where this leaves them moving forward if he's going to miss extended time. Yeah, we can save that conversation for January <laughs> or February. Yeah. Um, but, no, I thought he played well. Uh, obviously, 18 carries for 69 yards is, uh, I mean, not great production, um, but I, I thought in the first half especially he was running the ball uh, fairly efficiently. Didn't really break off any explosive runs. Uh, the, the main runs that he was pulling off in the first half were like five, six, seven, eight-yard carries and uh, a few 10 yards. And then obviously in the second half, the Chiefs, I think, did a better job of tightening their run defense, which uh, was a question mark because you weren't sure if Chris Jones would play. Uh, but he did play. And then, uh, especially in the second half, um, Mike Pinnell, uh, one of the best run defenders in the NFL, he started moving to the left side. Uh, which obviously puts them on Chris Reed, um, yep. or actually the Kansas City's right side. So they kind of changed up their front, and uh, Pinnell was really, really attacking Reed. Like he was tossing him backwards, like three yep. or four yards yep. behind the line of scrimmage. And, yep. and, uh, and yeah, Pinnell is just an outstanding run defender. And we just could not run the ball effectively at that point. And, yeah. And you saw Carolina go to more of a traditional, um, more of a heavy pass approach in that second half. So, yeah, McCaffrey played well. Uh, he caught the ball well, too, in my opinion. A uh, few of them were good designs by the offense, um, most notably the fourth down. And and then the the catch that he had on that dr- same drive where Samuel made a nice adjustment a few plays later, McCaffrey goes airborne and makes a nice catch. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty traditional, Additional uh, Christian McCaffrey performance, 10 catches, 82 yards. So he's usually around a nine to 10 yard per nine to 10 yards per catch sure. uh, type player. And then, uh, yeah, obviously the production running the ball could be improved. But again, I don't really, as I've been consistent on, I think running, uh, rushing success mainly comes from scheme and offensive line. So I'm not going to bury him too much. Ma- too much there especially as it's his first game back 
I think we have to go ahead and assume that the tight end position is not going to be a point of emphasis in the receiving game this year, Billy. Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what else to at, say at this we're point. At that point, he had two targets yesterday. Ian I mean, it's it's and, uh, it speaks to a larger discussion though that they're even just take out the tight end. They're honestly only using three wide receivers and a running back in their pass game. Right. Yeah, I mean, d- does that really like speak of an offense that's spreading the ball out? To me, it doesn't, especially when really. even I mean, we're still having concerns about uh, DJ Moore's target share. Right, and that could very much be a part of the 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 coverage schemes for teams zoning in on one of those three guys and and adding some emphasis there, and and maybe DJ's getting more attention until I get the tape. I can't really speak to yesterday's game, but. If you have a tight end threat, you know, down the hash or even outside at times, you know, that opens up one more guy. So you'd like to see that threat emphasized. I like Ian. I, I just, I don't know if they can't maybe do an upgrade there at some point. I think they might look to that. But I go back to the, you know, the early 2000s when, you know, Dan Henning ran very little stuff to the tight end. And it did put a strain at times on either Smitty or Moose. Um, and Smitty was so good. Both of them were so great. They were able to overcome that. But uh, and they threw to the backs a lot there too. But I would just like to see maybe more tight end involvement at some point. I think it'd be good. Yeah, I mean, even even Kansas City, they, they their main target share. Just looking back on it, I mean, eighteen targets yeah, to Tyreek. I, I saw that. <laughs> That's like crazy. And then Kels had twelve. That's thirty so targets between the two of them. Thirty targets and Mahomes <laughs> attempted forty-five throws that's yeah that's two-thirds of the that's that's 65 percent sure and that's obviously a different offense because they have those very fast wide receivers who can open up certain areas of the field Um, and the panthers offense is an offense that's built on um, a horizontal and short intermediate type throws so you would hope that the route distribution is a little more evenly distributed as opposed to 13 targets to Ravi Anderson and 10 targets to Curtis Samuel um so yeah yeah we'll have to continue to monitor the uh the tight end situation again Ian Thomas one catch eight yards uh on two targets there so uh i guess we could just a general view of the offensive line before we dive into that final drive there um i you know chris reed obviously is just his limitations in terms of his pass blocking i still think he does a pretty good job in the run game obviously they had uh dennis daly out there uh i saw some reports that he was healthy to come back in but they chose to stick with greg little and uh uh who's the other guy uh Trent, trent scott yeah, uh, left tackle. They rotated them, and and I'm just, I, I don't know. I mean, they eventually the Moten continues to play solid. Uh, I think Paradis's game has improved tremendously since last year. Uh, John Miller continues to be a solid stopgap. But what what are your thoughts moving forward on that left tackle spot? What are they going to do? Okung, I mean, obviously, yeah. Okung likes to tweet, but he's not playing a whole lot, so he's their best pass blocker. You'd like to see him get back in the lineup, but we're looking for long-term answers here. I just don't know what they're going to do here. I mean, that's a situation that has to be addressed at this point of the offseason. I, I mean, you and I predicted that Okung, given his uh, durability concerns and his age, that 
this sort of situation would happen. So I'm not really surprised. Yeah. Um, now, as far as the replacements are concerned, you were we were obviously hoping that the top 40 draft pick that they took a couple of years ago would, yeah. uh, you know, at least provide some sort of Whoa. stability. Yeah. And Thanks, that's not Marty. even happening. Thanks, Marty. Um, and then elite, elite talent, elite talent, talent value. I mean, elite. You, I mean, maybe like give Trent Scott like around it. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just trying to struggle for solutions here. It's just, yeah. you know, position, like I said, they went out and traded for Okung and they went out and spent a high draft pick and traded picks away to get little. And right now they're on to a sixth round player and yeah. A guy who's like a journeyman. So yeah, and I think they've done fairly well. I mean, Daly has has done fairly well given his draft status and has given them some value. But I, I think little given where they picked him. I'm not trying to be too hard on the guy, but they've got him graded out on PFF is like 25 overall with uh, with pass blocking. It's just not pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they've they've got to upgrade that. Obviously, we'll we'll dive into that more towards the. Uh, the off season, maybe towards the draft, that's a spot where they look, depending on where they draft. I think that's probably a high point of emphasis moving into uh, the spring. So that last drive, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, obviously they had a hard time, uh, obviously with no timeouts. It's asking a lot. I get that. But they don't have to go the length of the field there. they got to maybe get 50, 55 yards to get Sly in reasonable range. Um, and they just – couldn't get the ball to the sidelines. They couldn't get out of bounds. They threw a couple check downs to Mike Davis. There was some pressure, obviously, and then the uh, hands to the face call uh, was was critical. Just give me your rundown on that final drive. What were you looking at? And what were you thinking? Yeah, so 126, they get the ball at the nine-yard line. So essentially they have to go maybe 51 yards, right. and that's 51 yards takes you to Kansas City's 40-yard line. Okay. So what, what I saw was just a complete failure by the quarterback and the coaching staff to not either properly like understand the situation or they were just, or the quarterback was completely like out of it. I, I don't know which one to blame here. Hard to say. Yeah. This is you know, a situation 126 that this is, this should be plenty of time. You, you should not be time. checking the ball down. Plenty of time. Right. I mean, Okay, the first throw goes to Samuel, nine yards, and then you snap the ball at 110, McCaffrey for one yard. Then you snap at 105, incomplete to Anderson. And here, here, here's the kicker, 103. It's first and 20 after a holding call. Yeah. Bridgewater checks it down to Davis, nine yards. That yeah. weighs 20 seconds. 20 seconds. That's essentially the game. Yep. I mean, they, I don't even they, know what well, to they say. Follow, like, they, they follow that up, too, with a six-yarder to Davis. I mean, that's two in a row. And that, you know, obviously takes them down to a position where they've got Curtis Samuel deep for 23 yards, and that was that was good. But once again, you're you're looking at, you know, you're, 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 you know at, I was watching. You're at 10 seconds at that point. Yeah, and I'm, I'm honestly at the point where, any offense, this is just a working theory. Any offense that has the ball in this type of situation, if they have a running back in the backfield, that running back should be pass protecting. They should not be be releasing right as a check down. Totally because you're, you're at that point, the quarterback, especially a guy like Bridgewater, is just going to find that option and check it invi- down. Yeah, you're putting him too much in his comfort zone at that point where 
obviously Bridgewater loves the intermediate stuff. And I get that. That's who we signed. That's what you're getting with. But, uh, you know, again, the Chicago game, the Tampa game, he tried to make the deep throws late and both were picked off. Do you think maybe he was a little gun shy uh, to, to cut it loose on those? I mean, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I understand you're trying to just chip away here and get some yards, but you have no timeouts. At some point, you got to find something down the field or try to hit the sidelines. And I was disappointed by those two checkdowns. It really was. Just. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you. Disappointing. But, uh, you know, obviously, I, I, I think kicking the ball was the right. To say. It was your best of two bad options there. I don't know what you think, but trying to what 67 yarder. I mean, that's insane. We're at a point where we're, we're thinking that's legit. But I mean, it, it could have. He had enough leg on it, but he just sliced it into the woods to the right. Um I, I don't know. I you mean, think a Hail Mary would have been a better chance there? Or you like kicking it. Does Teddy Bridgewater not throw the ball 50 yards? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm being serious because, like, that, that's the only justification for getting a 67-yard field goal. Yeah. Let me be clear. Let me be clear. Throwing a Hail Mary has a very, very, very low percentage of being completed. Right. But you know which opportunity has a worse percentage? Kicking a 67-yard field goal because it's never been done in the history of yeah, modern football. That is true. <laughs> That's so, true. I mean, I mean, a 65, a 65-yarder inside a dome. Whatever, thing, I'm fine yeah. with it. That's he was thing. a couple yards short, but 67 yards in Arrowhead, like. Yeah. You never know. I mean, you know, I don't you get know. a PI I, call. I, I, a lot like, of things can happen there, and I, I, I weighed that decision all night last night thinking. What should they have done? But the, the bigger point is they shouldn't have been in a position with the, the weapons they have. To, they like, need... you're 50... yeah. I, I'd rather at no, least I was gonna Teddy, say, like... earlier in that drive, Teddy at least you know put one down the field to somebody because they can't cover everybody. Leave Davis back there and Max protect and, and just cut it loose and see if you can get a PI. Because it's not like these KCDBs are that great. You know, I'm not that impressed by them. I wasn't all game. And I thought there was an opportunity there to maybe push the ball downfield. But that gets back to who we're talking about here with Bridgewater. For all the things he does well, that's not something he looks to do very often. Yeah, I don't know. It's It was just a little bit annoying watching that and knowing that they had to kick a 67-yarder because maybe Teddy Bridgewater can't throw up. 50 yards in the air even though sports had a break your business did not you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important now than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit for free at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. That says a lot, I think. Uh, let's shift to the defense, Bill. So uh, they were without Jeremy Chen, and I, I thought, you know, some of his 
some of his play this year has been outstanding. Some of it has been, you know, rookie type of stuff, and, and he's working through that. But I felt that he could have provided a, an extra dimension. Obviously, Burris was out. Uh, Franklin did some good things. He flashed. He also missed some things in coverage, it looked like. Um, but just let's start with a general synopsis from your point defensively, some of the highs and lows, and then we can dive into the position groups here. Yeah, so, I mean, there's really not many – highs to speak of i i would say that um it, i'm trying to think about how i'm a little disappointed to be frank with you with the defense and i understand okay. that it's a unit that doesn't have enough talent and i'm i'm still trying to give the benefit of the doubt to the coaches especially here because the talent is just it's not there and then just watching it week after week you're you're left you're leaving yourself disappointed yeah. and I think at this point, I'm looking at the people who they have high investments in. That includes Shaq Thompson. That includes yeah. Trey Boston. That includes yeah. Derek Brown. That includes, maybe you can include Dante Jackson. And obviously, yeah. Brian Burns. Outside of Burns, those other guys have been disappointing. Yeah, totally. And that's been the most discouraging part about it is I, I expect growing pains from a player like Bravion Roy or Jermaine Carter and Russell Douglas even and yeah. Sam Franklin, I expect sure. those guys to do to not be playing at a level that constitutes winning defense. I get it, okay, because the talent level is, you know, at a the talent level isn't great. But when you look at the players that they have invested in, whether like I said, it's Boston Brown, Jackson, Shaq Thompson, those guys just aren't playing well, and yeah. it's getting a little tiring watching. Week after week, Derek Brown jump offside or or hold a player and commit a penalty, or Trey Boston like misread a route, yeah. or Shaq Thompson just get caught flat footed. I mean, that stuff has to end. We're nine weeks into the season, and the scheme that they're playing is really not that complicated. I mean, Phil Snow is really, really like dumbing down their scheme to just mm-hmm. make it simple. And they're just not executing. And and yeah, maybe I'm being a little too harsh because they just play the Chiefs, but this was an issue against the Falcons too. So it's not sure like was. it's not like this is a one off. It's happening week after week at this point. Yeah, and you know, obviously Kansas City is one of the best teams in the business in terms of securing the football. So getting a cheap one before half was nice, but to, to create nothing throughout the game in terms of takeaways or momentum. Obviously, Pat, I thought Mahomes was pretty off his game early on. I mean, he, he missed some shots. Um, it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, there were a couple throws he yeah, made that were, that, that were off the mark, and I think Carolina dodged a few bullets there that might have inflated their defensive production. Um, I, I think that it was, you know, the – Part of this is the byproduct of, of having to play from behind, but they, this is the lowest rushing production game for an Andy Reid team per carry and total since uh, 2017. So I, I think they did some pretty good things in terms of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell. Um, I, I don't want to overstate that because there were only a handful of carries, but that's one little positive I can look at. And Brian Burns obviously continues to, to make an impact. That Yuter Gross Matos obviously is still not 100% because he only played, oh, let's see here, 13 snaps. Um, Larkin played 12, and he had a good rush on one of those. 
And Burns was close on a few. I mean, he, we're looking at maybe just a split second from a couple of, of, of opportunities for a strip sack. He gets, he blows up the RPO there at the end. Uh, doesn't get credited for a sack, but it's all the same. So I think uh, you, what you've said for weeks now that Brian Burns, and you were very clear about this, he's the best player possibly on this team, but most definitely on this defense. And, and guys, especially veterans, have got to get on his level, and they just continue to, to fail to do that. I'm disappointed with Shaq. I'm disappointed with Boston. I just don't think they're meeting their expectations right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I think it's, I don't know, it, it's just a byproduct of a lot of things right now. And maybe they just miscalculated some of the evaluations of these players. Um, but this is a unit that they invested a lot of money in. So they need to either take a hard look at themselves and reevaluate what they're looking at because the scheme is most likely going to get harder. Yeah. I mean, that's just a reality of it. Um, so I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see if there are any type of changes or evolution that goes into it. Well, I mean, that's the one thing we talked about. I I, I made it a point in the offseason to, to say, look, I don't know much about any of these guys, Matt Rule, Phil Snow. I knew more about Joe Brady. In terms of schematics, I, I studied his stuff a lot dating back to the Sean Payton stuff. And I think you've seen a lot of similarities between Sean Payton's offense and what they're running here. But in, in general, I, I, I had my doubts about Snow because, you know, he's never coordinated an NFL offense or an NFL defense. And uh, he, he comes from a college environment and that can translate. But I think some of the stuff, to your point, was pretty stale yesterday. And uh, the three-man rush stuff is not effective. And um, obviously, the gap control against the run was better. But, you know, you, I made it a point to say, you know, Phil needs a little more time. I'm willing to give him the rest. <laughs> if fans are already wanting him fired, obviously, that's not going to happen. But And I don't think it should. But I think these are some of the growing pains, not only with the players, but with the staff. You're going to have that sometimes. And you're going against Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy. Um, it's it's not an easy matchup for a first year coordinator. So, at least on the NFL level, uh, Sam Franklin. What, what were your thoughts on on Sam? Obviously, I think yeah. he blew a coverage. I, I I'm pretty certain he did. I have to look at the tape again. But I was it the touchdown to Hill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually I don't think that's on him. That's not on him. I think okay. that's on Russell Douglas is actually the culprit there. Okay. Uh, so I actually I looked at the the next gen chart. The excuse me, the next gen. Uh, tracking of that play right they were in cover three and essentially what it was here is the chiefs had one player on russell douglas's side who runs like a deep over route and then obviously right. you have hill running another deep over route from the slot so it's cover three dante jackson he drops you know on his third of the field and he immediately understands that he sees the player coming from sure. russell yeah. douglas's side but douglas instead of dropping deep on his side and, and matching with the over route by Hill, he instead just follows that that receiver, which, I mean, I don't even think Sam Franklin could see that player. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. It, it's, it's really tough. So in that situation, yes, uh, Franklin has to decide if he wants to go with uh, one of those deep over routes, but Douglas is the one who should be matching and passing off. Right. I'm looking at the tape. side to Jackson. I'm looking at the tape on that play right now as we speak, and they they did. It was a sort of a double cross there. They ran two deep overs, and Franklin's caught in the middle. And you're right, Douglas is supposed to play, presumably in that coverage, that that deep third right there. And he 
He does not mm-hmm. pass off. And, and obviously Sam's a young player, but wide ass open. And you just, you know, you can't let that happen schematically against Kansas. Yeah, City. You, you, could, challenge that. you could see Dante like two seconds after the snap. He's, he's pointing, yeah. Telling them, pointing yep. where to look. Yep. And then and Jackson, or, yeah. I mean, even if that if they match, uh, 57 does get beat by Kels. Um, yeah. Some of Holmes is still looking at a touchdown, which again, that comes down to the level of talent uh, difference between their offense yeah. and our defense. No doubt. But making mistakes like this is a little uh, tiring. <laughs> well, and you know, had, they had a Darius Taylor matched up one on one there with Kelsey, and he's, he's yes, that, yeah, that's what I was referencing. Yep. Yeah, he's 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 open too at the at the fifteen. So they they they're in the same portion of that third of the field and there's two options there but obviously the the one that was just wide ass open they they took that one and and good for them because when you've got a single high up there and he's just on the wrong side of the hash yeah it's tough but i thought i thought sam did good some some good things i I liked how involved he was he got the sack he he looked uh he looked active and he looked like he knew what he was doing and that's all i can ask for from a young guy yeah, no, he played well. Uh, I thought he played well. I mean, he's undrafted, so sure. um, it, it was encouraging to see him stand out and do his thing. Well, it was an interesting game, of course, uh, 33-31. And since you and I last talked, you know, we I, I think you had a more realistic view on this team's playoff path than, than maybe I did. You know, I, I sort of bought into the opportunity of, you know, look, this is a very competitive NFC, and even the division doesn't look like anything like you saw last night. Tampa's not without flaws. Um, I, I still felt at that point, maybe two, three weeks ago, they had a chance to, to maybe punch through this part of the schedule. But that Atlanta loss, Billy, that was really the one to me that – um, and looking back at that, you and I haven't talked about that game much. It, just the errors, the the clock management, the sort of the old stuff from the Rivera era reared its ugly head. And, and they cleaned a lot of that up in this game, uh, the first couple of quarters notwithstanding. But um, the path forward this season is as they move into this part of the schedule. There, there are some winnable games. What do you want to see from this team? Obviously, the playoffs are a reach. It's probably not going to happen. And it, we didn't expect that realistically. But what do you want to see from this team? What are some improvements you want to see on, on all sides of the ball there? You know, for me, I think the offense is going to have – they're, they're going to have inconsistencies. You're going to see games like Atlanta and Chicago. Uh, but then you'll see games like yesterday and at New Orleans – so it's just a matter of consistency with them maybe, but still, I just feel like that is the consistency with this offense. And then defensively, I just want to see these young players improve. I mean, Derek Brown has not really played like top 10 pick in my opinion. Yeah. And I just want to see him reach a level to where he gets better. I mean, before his injury, Chin was playing pretty well and yeah. I was hoping that he would play just to see his progression. Um, so defensively, you drafted seven young players. So I'm not really too worried about what the unit does. I just want to see these young players grow and get better. Right. No doubt. The same thing here. Uh, also would like to see this team, you know, and again, I, I think part of this with, with Bridgewater, we, we, we tend to, I know I do this, and, and maybe it's not the right view, but you look at the quarterback as the end-all, be-all in these late-game situations. But Bridgewater has never really put together a, a, a signature sort of game-winning drive 
as a pro. I'm not to my knowledge. I've looked at a lot of tape, looked at his tape from Minnesota. He was well protected last year. A couple of his fourth quarter quote comebacks were like early fourth quarter scores from last year. I did one against Dallas, one against Jacksonville. And we've talked about the quarterback elevating you to that next level. Um, we've seen it this year. We just don't see the quarterback and the offense around him elevating in those key situations. So I think that might be a little bit of an indictment, um, not so much on Joe Brady, but maybe this quarterback isn't the franchise quarterback that some want him to be. And I think maybe you and I have a realistic expectation that they need to aim higher for that long-term. So I, I think that's, yeah, I agree. I, I just, and I, I, I think he is what he is. He's, he's a very decent quarterback, but he's not a game changer. Uh, I do love the fact that he got that fourth down in 14. That was impressive. And he plays with a lot of heart. Obviously, he's coming back from a really bad injury a few years ago. And it's a good story overall. And he's put up some decent production. But um, this system is very quarterback friendly, I think. And uh, I think if you can upgrade there at some point, uh, Trevor Lawrence would be nice. Fields would be nice. But I, I don't know if they have the quite the capital or the uh, losing record to, to pull that off, but a lot of season left. We shall see. Um, yep. So good talk, Billy. Um, I guess we'll kind of end it there and we'll look forward to another big matchup here. Got Tampa coming around the bend here. Um, give me your thoughts as we uh, kind of close up shop here on, on where the Buccaneers are. I, it was, you know, you and I, I think both saw them as the cream of the crop in this division uh, and the, the Saints have swept them, and it was an impressive win last night. Uh, what's going on in Tampa? Yeah, I was more impressed with just with how Sean was able to get his guys ready for that game. I, I didn't really see that coming. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, Tampa's – they're probably going to be really pissed off, and they're going to go to work this week. You're already seeing the quotes about Bruce Arians throwing Brady under the bus again and the last time this happened uh, <laughs> uh, was week one, and after week one they played Carolina. And they didn't really smoke us, but they kind of controlled that game. So, yeah, the key for the Panthers is they're at home this time, so maybe uh, fortunes change. But, yeah, it's going to be a winnable game, and you'll see them compete like you always do. But at the end of the day, um, it's going to come down to execution in certain parts of the game. Well, we look forward to it. Uh, thanks, Billy, to everything uh, you bring to the table and, and, and covering my butt the last couple of weeks. Appreciate that. And we will – no doubt have a good guest on for our Friday episode to break down Tampa, Carolina, coming up big home game in the NFC South for the Panthers as we continue to uh, monitor an interesting and kind of fun, in a way, 2020 Panthers season. For Billy Marshall, John Ellis, catch us next time right here on Blue Wire. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. 
serving collectors since 1945.